This is the Herbalist Without Borders Herbal Action Podcast, connecting you to our community herbalists and health justice activists. HWB is a nonprofit devoted to providing compassionate, holistic care to communities in need. We believe that health care is a right, not a privilege. I'm Denise Cusack, Executive Director of Herbalist Without Borders. The word radical derives from the word radix, the Latin word for root. For Leah Wolf, radical herbalism is a combination of roots, restoration, resistance, and resilience. She integrates these four concepts into a four-element system of herbalism to help her students understand how to go deeper in understanding health and wellness issues. So welcome, Leah, and thanks for taking time to speak with us today. Hi, Denise. It's so great to hear your voice. Yes, you too. I know we always talk about, you know, we, um, we all live around the world, and so hearing people's voice really helps connect us, I think, more than just an email. <laughs> yeah. So, so to start, um, how about you tell us a little bit about your experience with radical herbalism? Sure. Um, I first heard of radical herbalism through Pharmacy Herbs. It's a farm herb education project led by Mary Blue in Rhode Island. She'd heard about my work and invited me to teach an all-day class at the, the Rad Herb Gathering on community and herbal approaches to disaster situations. So Rad Herb is a loose network of herbalists in the U.S. who work to infuse health justice principles into herbalism. Sometimes they organize gatherings to share information, network, and learn from each other. Um, so at the time, I was introduced to the phrase radical herbalism by Mary Blue. I was supporting protests as an herbal medic and working in temporary activist clinics. I saw protests as a close-to-home opportunity to learn how to, I guess, to, to respond to disasters. Because in my opinion, protests are a perfect training ground for disaster situations. And sometimes the government even designates them as political disasters. So during that time, I learned a lot, but it wasn't very satisfying. I felt like I was drawn into a downstream response rather than getting to the root of the problem. So I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time. Lots of radical herbalists, lots of activism. There was a friend of mine who finished his medical studies. He told me he was leaving for the small town he grew up in. And when I asked why, why Portland's so great, he said, because there are lots of people here like us. And so I thought, yeah, right, I need to get out of here. <laughs> right. Most of my friends were herbalists, my housemate was an herbalist, so many herbalists and activists. So as you know, I ended up in small town, Northeast Ohio, where people tend to make Harry Potter jokes when I explain what I do. For some, the Hogwarts version of herbology is their only understanding of plant medicine, so I hear a lot about Screaming mandrake roots and other oh, right. things from Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, and one person expressed shock when I said there are lots of medicinal herbs. She said, there are medicinal herbs besides cannabis? And I said, yeah, and I don't know even where to start. <laughs> right. So then I started the Trillium Center at BLD Farm in 2013 as a way to get people out of the city out into the woods and get their hands dirty. So with volunteer help, we built a classroom out of straw bales, cattails, mud, and salvaged materials. 
I developed a hands-on community herbal intensive and offered lots of free plant walks. My educational approach is influenced by my studies for a master's in public health, which I did while I was in Portland. So I learned to take a long view of health issues, recognizing that health education is generally very limited in this country. And then later I found the principles of radical herbalism as described by this group in the UK. You can see their list at radicalherbalism.org.uk. I found that their description resonated with the thoughts that had been tossing and turning in my head, such as like, what if every person knew the first aid and how to use five plants? Or making tea doesn't help if the water isn't clean, right? Or if, if we fight for health care, right, instead of health, that wait until people are sick before they're eligible for care. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how I got into radical herbalism as a concept and learning about it first for myself. Oh, interesting. So you talk about the four elements of radical herbalism. Um, can you tell us more about roots, restoration, resistance, and resilience? Yeah, sure. But first, I want to be clear, these aren't like tenets of radical herbalism. I came up with this system because I wanted to create a class on radical herbalism, which I've only taught once so far down at the United Plant Savers Sanctuary. Um, but I do plan on teaching it again, maybe even taking it on the road. Um, but basically, I needed a framework for understanding radical herbalism that integrates into the system of herbal energetics. while tackling the complicated ideas of cultural appropriation, colonialism, cultural competence, power dynamics, potter, uh, poverty, environmental degradation, and, and on and on. You see what I'm going. <laughs> oh, right, exactly. Right, so, so this is what I came up with. Um, so roots, roots represents the need to get to the root of the problem, address root issues, and root out the things that aren't working. So I associate roots with the north, where the ancestors live. And then I then connect this with my roots as a descendant of Appalachian folk traditions, which evolved from the Scots-Irish living with the Cherokee. Um, and I recognize that living in North America, I'm a child of colonization. And so I work toward my own sense of authenticity and herbalism that is not based on cultural appropriation. I remember that my ancestors lived close to the land and used nourishment as a primary aspect of healing, right? So tending to my own personal roots helped me develop a sense of herbalism that is grounded in the place that I lived because I learned how my ancestors developed their place-based philosophy of healing in Ireland. And later they had to adapt it to the Appalachian environment where they immigrated in the mid-1600s during the chaos of the English Civil War. So. Now I see these ideas reflected in the way that my father feeds people and the way that he adopts strays, right? So then right. restoration, restoration is the next element. It represents the need to restore health in the land and the people, which I think is something we all would agree on. This is where it's really important to understand how cultural competence goes both ways, meaning that it's not just about teaching people about the things that I believe, but truly understanding where they are so I can actually inspire their hearts and minds. So restoration, I associated with the East, 
to go back to the herbal energetics where the breath of life, the air element, it, it inspires and creates life. So it inspires my efforts so that I continually seek ways to breathe new life into my community, my environment, which is still recovering from the collapse and the degradation of the steel industry, where agriculture is managed by heavy equipment operators mostly, and where relief comes in aseptic containers rather than through revitalization. So my restorative practices include establishing this farm, CLD Farm, as a United Plant Savers Botanical Sanctuary, and by creating an education-based community garden in, in the town that I live in. Um, and through the food bank, I've been creating free food education programs so that people can learn more about how to use fresh produce instead of just getting the boxed foods that they get usually. Right. And then the final thing that I'm doing as far as restoration goes is I'm working with our Metro Park system right now to create a foraging program. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been really fun. So then the third element is resistance, which represents the things that I do to counter oppression, poverty, power dynamics. Um, I associate it with the fire element of the South and the fiery nature of youth. And for a long time, that was my work in protest and disaster support, you know, and, um, and maybe, you know, it's partly I'm getting older, but, because I still do that work, but I also am taking a more profound look at the long, cruel disaster of poverty, environmental depletion, and pollution. So my resistance now involves community gardens, food and herb education, free clinics, I work with low-income seniors um, to alleviate the lack of nutrition in the food that they get. Um, we invite them to participate in the garden, or if they're not able to, we just give them produce from the garden. And um, we often have these little groups where we talk about what to do with the food, and it's fun because it's not me telling them what I do with fresh food. It's usually a lot of them are exchanging what they do with those foods. And so it's really nice to see that happen. I also work with children in the garden so that they understand where food comes from because I had this experience on a farm in Wisconsin where we had these children come out and they worked in the garden. They got to see how maple syrup's made and all these other things. And um, we were making food out of stuff that they gathered out of the garden and this one kid would not eat it. He wouldn't eat the carrots. He was like, no. And when I asked why, he said, it was in the dirt. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, <laughs> you know, like it's all carrots come out of the dirt, but this child didn't know that, you know? So right. that's an area for me to work in is working with children. Um, I also, I work with a lot of people who are angry. Um, they feel lied to. They feel that much of the nutrition information they were taught as children is now being discarded, or they don't know how to sort through the information and the misinformation on the internet. You know, so you can see how that plays out with a lot of people, right? Oh, right. And then, yeah, and then I work with local farmers, too, because um, I really think herbalism should be part of a diverse and sustainable local food system. And so... Although, you know, I'm kind of like the weird one in the farmer group, um, 
I think it's really important that I that I keep showing up and participate in that process of developing that kind of food system. So then, okay, so resilience is the last one, not the last in importance, however. <laughs> it, right. it means the ability to recover or bounce back from disruptive or disastrous circumstances. Um, I relate it to the West, the water element, which really feels right to me, living with the Great Lakes to the West. Um, resilience is a, is a goal. Um, my own resilience as an herbalist and a sense of resilience in my community. The primary problems that I saw when I was working as an herbal medic were burnout and trauma, but I'm finding that that is kind of a national problem, maybe in some ways a global problem, I don't know. but um, I'm finding that burned out traumatized people, they lose their resilience and they're not as effective in their communities and that a lot of people in the Rust Belt, they seem really burned out and traumatized in various ways and uh, more so than any of the other places I've lived and I've lived a lot of places in the U.S. But in speaking of that, getting out of Portland, it shows that people all over the country are, they're burned out. They're traumatized by the media, by persistent poverty, environmental disaster, and like a whole slew of isms, right. which means that they don't have the means, they don't have the energy, the time to, to attend to a whole picture of health being related to emotional and psychological health, right? Or a sense of meaning or spiritual health, exactly. or even community health, environmental health, political health, or our place in the universe. <laughs> right? So herbalism, food as medicine, and connection to the natural world is an important part of developing personal and community resilience, in my mind. It is. Yeah, that's, those, that's amazing. Um, and I know that that all ties in together for all of us, no matter where we are, um, into that yeah. picture. It really does. So how do you think herbalists can apply those four elements to their daily practice? Yeah, that's a, I think that's a really good question um, because it's something that I worked out through examining my own life and my own process of becoming a human, I guess. Um, I think the element of roots could be really hard, maybe even triggering for some people um, because for some others it might be really easy because they know where they came from, but it will be hard for those people who don't know where they came from. And I know this because my mother was adopted, and so part of this exploration of roots was really hard for me. Um, you know, so like for a lot of people, they don't know where they came from, and their traditions were lost during the process of colonization. Right. Um, and, you know, and I'm not just talking about colonization of North America, but I think it'd be really helpful for some herbalists to learn more about their ancestry through DNA tests if they don't have the family history. Mm -hmm. I mean, it helps me. It helps me to see that my mom, just like my father, is largely Irish, you know? And so it helped me feel more connected to a place. Um, but then I found that it was really complicated by how much colonization and genocide occurred in Western Europe. Do I explore Irish traditions as they exist now? 
or do I look at them, what they were like when my ancestors left in the 1600s, or do I look to Celtic traditions? Because then I know full well that the Celts colonized the British Isles, absorbing the original Irish. And then exactly. I think, well, is there a such thing as original Irish? <laughs> right. Right. So, so right now I'm working on a project with some herbalists to create an herbal retreat where we discuss and develop ideas about place-based healing. This means accepting where we live and as the place where we put our roots and developing a place-based system that reflects where we live along with any integration of ancestry that makes sense per individual. So to explain that a little more, um, I found that trying to teach my students about the four directions got really confusing because I see this in Irish herbalism too with, with Bridges Cross and it also makes a lot of sense because four directions common in North America too. So, um, but it was, it was confusing while teaching the four elements worked just fine. So the problem there was associations with the direction are place-based and they differ from region to region. So I described the directions as things that are designated based on where you live. So let's say you lived on the west side of an island and I lived on the east side of the same island, you would probably associate the element of water with the direction of west, whereas right. I would likely associate the element of water with the east. See what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so these three herbalists I'm working with, of course, one from the north, one from the south, one from the west, and myself living in the east, we're planning a retreat in Utah to work with all the herbalists who decide to join us to understand and develop systems of place-based herbalism and how to let our systems evolve based on where we are, which I think is important for people who travel too, because I, I have a lot of friends and spent some years myself on the road. And um, so I think that that's an important part of it. So, oh, definitely. So yeah, so that's how somebody could integrate the element of roots into their daily practice. Um, the element of restoration, I think, can be honored by remembering to use herbs in restorative ways, incorporating traditional methods, you know, like constitution, energetics, tissue states, that kind of thing. Um, I also think that restoration and protection of native plants is important. Um, for example, I recognize that my ancestors came from many places, and so I have different practices for native and introduced plants. I don't use knives or other metal tools on native plants unless it's necessary because this honors the traditions I've learned from Native American healers. I'm much more willing to use metal when I dig up or cut weeds because Europeans have a longer history of forging tools out of metal. Um, I also grow lots of native medicinal plants, but I rarely use them because most of the time I can accomplish my goals with common weeds or other medicinal plants that I can easily grow like calendula and elecampane. Right. I think a lot of herbalists do this, but I've also found that some herbalists will focus on it must be the best plant no matter where it comes from instead of remembering that the plant you have is the best plant. Exactly. Yeah, so let's see, the element of resistance. I think that that can be honored in so many different ways. 
I mean, just being an herbalist in the first place, I think, is an act of resistance in, in, the, in the times that we live in. Um, let's see. Well, I think that I, you know, one of the things I have concern about when it comes to resistance is the long-term effects of the commodification of herbs and herbal constituents, and that's why I'm really focused on using weeds, um, knowing our native plants, and and having a really hands-on relationship with these things instead of taking pills and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also concerned about the traditional systems of herbalism and how sometimes they're ignored or they're just not known. Um, where there's this other thing happening where I call it allopathic herbalism, which I know sounds paradoxical, but but I, I see it happen a lot where herbs are matched to the disease or the condition, which is actually practicing medicine without a license. And right. I think instead herbalists should resist that and should seek out systems that are based on helping people rather than treating diseases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay, one more, the element of resilience. <laughs> um, I think the best way to... to you know, for daily practice of these elements with resilience is to honor it with herbal self-care, family care, community care, any way in which herbalism becomes part of the daily healing process, it, it creates resilience. And I also think that integrating basic herbalism into local food systems is vital. I said that already, but, oh, yeah, um, definitely. you know, as far as what other herbalists should think about, you know, the more we eat the weeds, and understand the medicinal aspects of culinary herbalism, I think the more resilient our communities will become and that, that it's, it's easier to reach people by working with herbs they already, they already know, the ones they're already familiar with. Exactly. Yeah, that all makes sense. And it's, um, I think that makes it something that everyone can accomplish within what their own needs are um, and where they live. Uh, and their approach to herbalism, especially bioregional herbalism. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and with uh, Herbalists Without Borders, you know, all of us working here and volunteering with Herbalists Without Borders are committed to health justice. So what do you think that means in the context of radical herbalism? Well, I think that health justice is inherently human-centric, so it doesn't get to the root of the problem. Um, so like, the definition of health justice, as I understand it, is um, I mostly understand it through the rad herb training. Um, this is reflecting back to the stuff that I learned through Mary Blue. And so they, they have like four things that they are trying to accomplish with those trainings. And the first one is about uh, human oppression and accessibility, you know, breaking down the barriers. The second one is about cultural competence between humans. The third is about training humans to spread the ideas of health justice and herbalism. And the fourth is creating health justice leaders who will collaborate with humans who are not herbalists. So, and then if you, if you do an internet search on the definition of health justice, you'll find that other organizations have even more limited definitions. Right. Um, scope, scope of what health justice is, right? So, you know, like the World Health Organization and, and such big organizations like that, their, their definitions are pretty limited. So I'm not saying that 
radical herbalist or human-centric. I'm just noting that an emphasis on health justice alone doesn't adequately address what I'm describing as the four elements of radical herbalism. Right. Um, it's like it needs to be integrated together. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's, um, I think that many of them, us, <laughs> many of us incorporate justice-based approaches with, you know, we think of the physical, the emotional, social, spiritual, environmental, and, and some of us like work on political levels too, right? So, um, I think m many radical herbalists probably see people they help in the context in which they let live and they go way beyond health justice in their practice. Oh, this right. is why so many is, yeah, this is why so many of them attend to environmental issues and, um, and why a lot of us are concerned about the aftermath of colonization, cultural appropriation. Um, and I also think that this is why so many of these radical herbalists are found in the middle of disasters making tea. <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I spent three weeks at Standing Rock and, you know, and I just like, that's mostly what I did is I was just making tea for people who were on the front lines. And, um, and I just sent some herbs and other things with a friend down to Lumberton, North Carolina, where they're still dealing with the floodwaters. And there's disasters like this all over the world where herbalists were making tea. <laughs> right. And they keep doing yeah. it for months after everyone else who was helping left. You know, often. Right. Like people have already forgotten Lumberton, except for the, right. the herbalists that are there. And, you know, and like we're still having a lot of emails around how to how to best help these folks, you know, because part of it is problem solving about, well, what's the best approach, you know, and like, um, I'm a big fan of foot baths. I think that they're very easy. It's a very easy way to help people. And, um, but I just don't think that a foot bath is going to be much appreciated in a town that's dealing with floods, you know. They they got enough water. They don't. Their feet are probably wet all the time, so they don't. They're not going to want to do that, you know. So you know, like part of our process is trying to figure out what what is best for that particular situation. Exactly. So I think I think that my work in this arena is probably what led Gigi to invite me to serve on the board of Herbalists Without Borders. Is that how you say her name? Yeah, Gigi. Gigi. Okay. Um, so, yeah, um, I know I, you served a, for a few years. Yeah, mm -hmm. I did. And I, you know, and I understood that, that Herbalists Without Borders has always promoted health and wellness for all humans. And, um, but for a long time, the language included healthcare as a right instead of health as a right. Right. And, um, I really felt strongly about that. And I think that that might be the most important accomplishment accomplishment I made in the two years that I was on the board because um, it was all over the internet you know like the website and stuff healthcare 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 and I thought no we got to focus more on health because you know it's like in this if country, you don't have good health or access to things that support your health and wellness you healthcare is almost irrelevant after the fact um, right, right. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, poverty and access and all of that. And it's so important to focus on health and wellness and not just, like you said earlier, you know, it's not about treating 
um, conditions. It's really about supporting people in their wellness, you know, in general, it, like it encompasses every single part of your life. It's your food. It's your, you know, it's not just herbs. It's everything you put into your body, your environment. Um, even just your emotional health is a part of that too. Yeah, but that all gets swept aside when the U.S. political parties fight over whether people deserve health care, you know, which right. means disease treatment, because it means health care is what you get after you're sick, mostly in this country. So, right. yeah, so I think that that's the, that's the crux of what we're talking about, is that everyone deserves good health, and they, exactly. they deserve the ability to access any kind of healing, whether it's medical, traditional, alternative, complementary, spiritual, whatever you want to call it, right? So exactly. we should be able to access whatever, whatever feels right for us. And I think that many radical herbalists are going out beyond human issues and doing things to raise awareness about the environmental impact on the plants we love so deeply. They're planting oh, seeds. Yeah, restoring forests and fields, and they create herbal trade practices that honor the people and the land, and a lot of them are teaching others about all of these things. So, Which so we have to do. Answer. We have to spread the word. We have to teach people how to make that happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so I think that's what I have to say about that, that health justice is, is one aspect of radical herbalism and that getting to the root of things means that you have to go beyond human health. Exactly. Exactly. I was nodding my head emphatically. If you, <laughs> you can't hear me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what do you well, people, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, I, you know, I don't, feel like what I'm saying is new. I feel like what I'm right. saying is just something that I wanted to say because it resonates with so many people and that it was really important to bring this to the, the podcast series that you're working on. Well, and you know, the thing is, you know, what, you know, those of us, once you do things for a while, you think it, well, everybody knows about it, but there are always people that are coming into this that are new and are looking for information. They're looking for how to make change in their communities, in their environment, in their life, in their practice. And so it's really important for people who are active to talk about it and not just, you know, I know a lot of people um, who are like the volunteer committed people to working in their communities don't want, they're not doing it to get a pat on the back. They're doing it because they want to make radical change. But if, if we all don't talk about it, and it's all a secret. Um, there's no inspiration or um, support for people just starting or looking for answers. So I really appreciate you talking about it because it's really important. And that leads us, I guess, to, you know, what do you hope people will take back to their own communities and work after listening to the podcast today? Yeah, that's, um, let me think for a second. Um, yeah, because I think a lot of radical herbalists are already doing these things, but like you said, not everybody is a radical herbalist or has heard of radical herbalism. Um, so I think that my process of creating a system of radical herbalism for myself was experiencing too many herbalists who practice herbalism in an allopathic way. I know that it sounds like a paradox, but I find that many of us, including myself, you know, 
we start out by understanding herbs in the context of what they are used for. And that's always the first question I'm asked by people. Is there an herb for exactly. fill in the blank? Yeah. Right? You've been, we've all been asked that question a hundred times. And how many times mm -hmm. have we just answered without thinking about what we're actually saying? You know, because I've learned now that my answer is always, it depends, because it depends on the person. You know, I'm not treating a disease, so I, I can't actually answer that question. Right. Um, so. The other thing is that I find that some herbalists or students, they'll, they'll give me a tea or a salve or some other herbal remedy that they've made, and I ask them, well, what was your process? How did you choose the herbs that you used? And, and, and often they're a bit confused. What do you mean process? Because what they've done is they've gotten a bunch of plants for a thing, they threw them all into a pot to make a remedy for a thing, and they don't understand why those plants work for the thing or why they would choose one over the other. They, you know what I mean? Like they don't have oh, a yeah. framework for understanding right, exactly. herbal medicine. Yeah, right. Or they so, go look it up in the book of herbalism that <laughs> they have and A, right. B, C, and D, yeah. Right, so it's that process of like, I just got a new herbal book, and so first thing I'm going to do is go into the index and look up all the conditions that I'm interested in and see what the herbs go with them, you know, instead of like exactly. reading the intro where it describes the, the framework. <laughs> right, right? Exactly. So, yeah, and then I also find that there's a lot of herbalists who are getting these um, certificates and clinical master herbalism. Um, and they're not realizing that it takes many years of regular clinical practice to gain any sort of mastery. I mean, the people I consider masters, they wouldn't even claim such a thing. And some of my most important teachers, they don't even use the title herbalist, and some of them won't even say they're teachers, right? So they just work with herbs, is what they'll say. So I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that almost all of us can learn more and dig deeper. And this is my daily practice. Learn more, dig deeper. Understand roots of all kinds. Find ways to restore and revitalize on multiple levels. Resist when necessary. And above all, practice personal resilience so that it can radiate out into your community. Yes, exactly. That's wonderful. A big thank you to Leah Wolf of the Trillium Center for taking time to chat with us today about radical herbalism. To find out more about Leah and her work, visit her website at trilliumcenter.org or visit the Herbal Action Podcast page on the Herbalist Without Borders website where we have a bit more about her and links to her website. So thanks so much, Leah, for talking today. I appreciate it. Thank you for making this space for us to talk about really important issues. Thank you for listening to this episode of Herbalists Without Borders. We're a network of herbalists, traditional healers, complementary and alternative medicine clinicians, botanical medicine makers, herb growers, students, and just folks interested in the role of plants and wellness, sustainable agriculture, preservation, and restoration. If you value this content, please go to herbalistswithoutborders.weebly.com to make a donation or join as a member today. Support down to the ground green medicine in your community. 